You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Hunt and Onyx Maps. Now, I got to have a a little heart-to-heart with you here real quick. I used Onyx Maps on my phone every single day during the hunting season whether i was out west during my elk hunt south dakota mule deer hunt or my rut vacation in iowa i was on my phone using onyx maps every part of the day whether i was looking at terrain features uh on the topographic and and satellite maps that they offer on their uh Uh, on their app or if I was leaving a waypoint like a watering hole or where I left my trail cameras or tree stands or if I was marking a route from a campsite to a glassing position or from my truck to a tree stand location I used Onyx Maps every single day and I feel like it's an app that made my life a little bit easier. I don't know about you, but uh, there's been times in the past where I have been trying to find a tree stand based off of memory and not off of looking at a map. And uh, I I have gotten lost in the dark before. I had to wait till sunup and then and then you know find it that way. But that problem does not exist anymore because of onyx and uh, there's a ton of other features that i think you guys need to check out go to onyxmaps.com and uh, check out uh, all the functionality of the app Uh, download it to your phone give it a try and when you do decide to purchase enter the discount code nation 20 n-a-t-i-o-n two zero and for new users you're going to receive 20% off. So onyxmaps.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman podcast. Hopefully you had a good holiday season, you had a good Christmas, good New Year, and you had some time to reflect on 2019 and are looking forward to 2020. This episode is going to be about your late season tags. So if you, if you still haven't filled your late season buck tag, we're here to help. This is, a, a, this is going to be a tactics episode on how to fill those late season tags, kind of specifically toward filling a late season buck tag, but a lot of this stuff can be used for, for anything. If, if you're still just trying to put meat in the freezer, that's cool too. You can use this information there as well. So we've got muzzleloader coming up and then a few more weeks of archery season and tactics kind of change in that late season so we talk about some of the tactics we like to use and things that you can key on key in on to fill some of those late season tags one thing that we do is we use monster white tail grub they're a sponsor of this show and 
They make a really great deer feed product. Their, their premium feed is a high-protein feed. It's got mineral mixed in. And deer are searching for calories this time of year. So feed, like monster white-tailed grub, can be a great way to get deer on a pattern and fill some of these late-season tags. So you'll hear us talk about that as a tactic in this episode. So if you're interested in trying some monster white-tailed grub, there'll be a link in the show notes on how to get in touch with them and try some of their stuff. And with that, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? Okay, so today on the podcast, we're going to talk about how to how to get your late season muzzleloader buck, right? If you haven't shot your your buck yet this season, muzzleloader season is a great opportunity to get out in the woods and hopefully fill your tag. It's kind of the you know we we always kind of see it as as the last hurrah because by that point it's pretty cold. You gotta you gotta be pretty dedicated or have um you know have pictures of deer on camera on a pretty consistent schedule to uh to bear the cold temperatures by that point to go out and sit with a bow so for us muzzleloader is is usually sort of the last hurrah last chance to either just fill the freezer or if you're still trying to fill your your ohio buck tag that's a good opportunity to do it so gonna kind of approach this, like I said, from the muzzleloader standpoint. And the where I'm going to start with this is practice with your muzzleloader, right? It, it's a, a muzzleloader. Yes, it is a firearm. Well, I guess technically, uh, by the legal definition of a firearm, it's, it's not a firearm, but you know, it's a gun, but it is not a modern, you know, shotgun, straight walled rifle, you know, put some ammo in it, shoot it. Yep, we're on paper. Let's let's go hunting, right? There's there's a reloading process or a loading and or reloading process that you need to be familiar with. And you just need to know where it's going to shoot. If you shoot multiple times, you know, the barrel starts to foul and how does that affect your your where your shots go? The other thing is uh like I mentioned, reloads. So you got to be, you got to practice reloading, right? Try to do it quick because it's going to be cold. If you're if you're planning to wear gloves or something, you know, heavy gloves, are you going to reload with the gloves on? Are you going to throw the gloves off and and reload without the gloves? There's just, you know, I'm just trying to point out things to people that you need to be thinking about with a muzzleloader that you don't need to think about with a, what I'll call a modern, uh, modern firearm, right? There's, uh, I'm trying to think of a, of a scenario. Well, I know of a scenario I shot at a, 
a doe down at the cabin. This is a lot of years ago. I peeked up over this ridge, and there stands a doe down below me. Lined up on her. Bang! You know, smoke clears, and she's still standing there. So now it's, now I'm scrambling, right? Like, oh, i got to get reloaded, got to get reloaded. And just about the time I was getting reloaded and getting ready for another shot, she bounded off and nowhere to be seen. But it's, uh, it's just another layer of complexity, I guess, that you need to be prepared for. Yeah. I mean, last year with our muzzleloader hunt that we have always done um, out at our grandfather's farm, um, I, we were doing a little bit of a push through a area that they had timbered and I was kind of the, I don't want to say the only shooter, but I was up on a point where I could see the whole thing. So I was like the main primary shooter as they're pushing through this. And I shot as many loads as I had and I didn't kill a single deer. <laughs> yeah. And I'm still not sure what happened. So yeah. I got to get my muzzleloader out before muzzleloader and figure out. Cause I was, I mean, I, I did, we got the muzzleloaders out and I was dead on before season. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer as to what happened yet, but I got to get it out and do some shooting. I don't know if the scope got bumped in transportation. I don't know if it had something to do with the way I was reloading it. I have no idea. I don't well, know. And so that's a good yeah, point. You definitely, you definitely have to, practice with your muzzleloader practice reloading your muzzleloader then shooting it again just to see where it's going to go because like you said it's not things are not as precision and refined as like a rifle straight wall whatever you want to you know there's a lot of more variables that can send your (laughs) bullet in a lot of different directions well and yeah and that brings up that sort of reminded me of something is, you know, I talked about reloading, right? But, but there's things that you can do when practicing to, uh, I guess, make your reloads more consistent, right? So, so one thing that, that we like to do is mark your, your ramrod so that, you know, when you know you've loaded your gun properly and everything is seated properly, mark where you're with your ramrod down your barrel, touching the, the top of the bullet, mark where that ramrod sticks out the top of the barrel, right? You take a, you know, some sort of scribe, a knife, scrape a line, uh, whatever, however you want to mark it, but mark your ramrod so that when you're rushing to reload, you can quickly look and go, Yep, that's seated all the way. I'm good to go. Because like Jake said, if you don't get that, you know, say you shot once or twice, like I said, the barrel starts to get fouled. It's a little harder to get the bullet seated all the way. If that bullet isn't seated all, you know, say it's sitting a quarter inch above the powder or or the, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the, the pellets. Yeah, like the Pyrodex. Uh, pellets, you, it's going to be different. It's going to shoot different. If you're shooting loose powder in practice, but then going to use Pyrodex for the quicker reloads in 
you know, a hunting scenario, make sure you're shooting the Pirate X, a, a few shots with the Pirate X, just to make sure that everything is going the same place or isn't affecting your, your point of impact dramatically, right? Because, you know, it could be if, if it's, especially if, like, the Pirate X is a lot older than the loose powder or, you know, things things can change. There's, you know, moisture levels and whatnot. And so make sure that's all same, same. The one thing that uh, we also like to use, which I'll put a link to these in the show notes because they make reloading, especially on the fly out in the field, way easy are the, the quick loads. So, Jake, you know what these things are, right? You, you put, uh, and they've got a couple different styles. I like the ones that have the built-in push rod in them, so they're a little longer, like in your pocket. But basically, you put your powder down in the tube, whether it's loose powder or Pyrodex pellets. Then you put your bullet on top of it, and... They, they even will hold a primer. Now, I use a different primer holder. Jake, do you use that little, uh, like, wishbone-style primer holder, or what do you use to for primers? I've Last year, I actually put the primer in the quick load and did it that way, but I also okay. have a wishbone that I've used in the past. Um, but basically, with that, you just got to get something that you have to find the happy medium, something that holds it tight enough that it's not going to fall because primers are awfully hard to find when they fall down in leaves. Yeah. And, but you also don't want it too tight to where you can get it off of there and, you know, onto your firearm without losing it, dropping it, whatever it is. Well, and the other thing I like about the, the wishbone, it's, it's plastic. So you can't do a ton of prying with it, but if you're, primer after you shoot doesn't just fall out you can kind of use that to pull the primer out it's not so much it's not as much of an issue with my my new uh cva muzzleloader because it's got like that uh closed breech if you will but and think you know it, it just the primers seem to just come out of that real easy and i can get my finger on the primers you know i can pinch it with my fingers. Now, if you had thick gloves on, it would be nice to have something to kind of flick those out of there if you need to. But that old muzzleloader I have, those would, you know, it had like a little retainer spring and it was, it's just a different style muzzleloader. Those would, the primers would get hung up in there to where I had to pry them out of there, you know, after the, after the shot, especially if you've been shooting a little bit, you know, those things get fouled up and that primer would hang up. So it was nice to have that little wishbone thing to where before I put the new primer on, I could use that to kind of reach down in there, flick that old primer off or, you know, kind of dig it out of there and then get the new primer on. Cause you can't really do that with the quick loads, right? They're, they're, you know, they, the, the primer typically slides into a little notch on the cap and you know, they just, they're not, they're not long and narrow in right. that area to kind of get down in there and get a primer right off off right so yeah. and that is something you got to pay attention to i mean they definitely do foul up it's i mean 
surprising, not surprising, I guess, depends how familiar you are with muzzleloaders, but um, it's kind of surprising how fast they get fouled up and dirty. I mean, it's a messy, I mean, more modern powder burns a little cleaner, but it's not an exaggeration that when you shoot, you know, your second or third time, it's going to be significantly harder to set that bullet down because of the fouling in the barrel and just the powder residue and whatever. Well, and there always seems to be that, that, that little hump or that little hard spot to get it, you know, after you've shot a couple times, right as you're trying to seat it the rest of the way, there's always that one spot where it wants to hang up, you know, where you're like, okay, it's, it's seated. And then you check your line and you're like, oh no, it's not. And you got to really kind of, you know, right. pull, pull your, sure. your, your sleeve, your hand up inside of your, your Carhartt sleeve or your jacket sleeve, you know, to, so it doesn't dig into your hand so bad and right. really push it in there to get that bullet seated. Yeah. And just to go back, kind of circle back the, with the quick load that you were referring to, um, to, I guess, drive the point home. The one that kind of has the built in bullet starter is the ones we prefer, um, like I said, it's a little bit longer, but again, it makes it a lot, a lot easier on a follow-up shot when your barrel's a little fouled up and the bullet's not going to just, not that it ever falls down in, but you know what I mean? It's, it can get, it can be tight. <laughs> so if you have something that can start it and it's the same, it's almost the same motion, you know what I mean? That instead of setting the bullet in and then getting a separate bullet starter out to push it in. Um, those are, and they're very affordable. I mean, they're not expensive. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it prevents you from having to carry a bullet starter. Like when I'm using those quick loads, I don't carry a bullet starter with me because that quick load is my bullet starter, right? Like I right. said, you open the cap, you dump your powder in, and then, you know, it's got that built in plunger that you just push that down and it pushes the bullet in a couple inches, and then now you've got your, you know, then comes your ramrod to seat the bullet, you know, force it down the barrel the rest of the way and seat it all the way on, you know, on top of the powder. So those are nice to have, and they uh, they make your reloads good, easy, I guess as easy as, easy as they can be. Right. And so you know, practice using those too. you know, don't, don't just use a, a, a loose powder measure while you're practicing target shooting, you know, and then, okay, I'm going to use these quick loads because, you know, you kind of want to know how they work, how hard you have to push that sort of thing. So yeah, I want to pause here for a quick second and talk about our sponsor Mastin's Deer Sense. So Mastin's Deer Sense is a premium scent product company and they specialize obviously in deer sense, but they also have enhancer scents for predator hunting so i know a lot of guys like to do coyote hunting in the off season right once you get past deer season or you've already got your your deer tags filled maybe you're not listening to this episode because you've already got your deer tags filled but if you like to do some off season predator hunting or some late season predator hunting they've got you covered on that also so check them out if that's something you're interested in some enhancer scents for some coyote hunting and it's good stuff we've not used the the predator stuff but we've definitely used the deer sense and had really good luck with them it's good scent 
and it's a good company. So, it's a win-win all around. You can buy right from their website, mastinsdeersense.com, and they'll ship it right to your house. And with that, let's get back to the episode. I think that sort of uh, covers the few sort of gear things that I wanted to touch on before we get into you know actual tactics of getting on a late season muzzleloader buck. Anything else, Jake, you want to mention there before we move on? No, I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered it all. Um, okay. I know in previous episodes I've talked about like my little hand warmer muff. That's like my, I wear it all season, whether it's early bow or late season muzzleloader, but it's more important. I would say the later in the year you get to keep your hands warm. Yeah. Uh, and I want to, I've got, I want to talk about kind of clothing and, and staying warm a little bit later. So we can, we'll, we'll, sort of circle back on that in a, in a minute here. So, but now basically, you know, what we use to find a late season buck is you got to find food. You know, they're, they're past the breeding stage of season and it's very much survival mode at that point. And so it can kind of be, you know, late season hunting, whether it's late season archery hunting or, you know, late season muzzleloader, it's, it can kind of be boom or bust, right? Like if, if you've got the food source, the, the good high calorie food source on property that you hunt, or you're able to find a food source on public land, you know, that's going to be your key to success in late season, because it's very much about staying away from predators, AKA people. And, staying alive aka getting as many calories while expending as few calories as possible right right and i mean that they're like you said it's survival mode they're coming off when you get late late season they're a little more recovered but they're coming off the rut where they're as wore down as they're going to be all year right nutrition wise i mean you got to find the food because that's where they're going to be uh, especially, I mean, does and bucks, but especially the bucks that just finished rutting hard. Um, they're going to be on the food. They're going to be, you know, you got to find good high calorie food near good cover. Cause like you said, they have to survive. They got to live. Um, but the whole mantra or idea of, you know, find the does and you'll find the bucks doesn't necessarily hold true late season because the bucks don't have interest in the does anymore. Right. Um, granted, I mean, the does are going to, they, they have to survive too. And there many of them are pregnant and have, you know, fawns that they have to take care of in terms of growing. And so getting all of the nutrition for that. But, um, the idea of, chasing does and all that just does not happen late season. The bucks, they kind of separate and do their own thing. So you, but it does revolve around food. They're slaves to their stomach because they don't have, you know, a nice warm house to go back to. They have to survive the elements. Right. Um, you know what I mean? So when it's freezing cold, they're using a lot of calories to stay warm and they got to replace that on a daily basis for the most part. Yeah. And so 
the other key to that that you know that we kind of touched on is cover right if if you've got a good food source with nearby cover if you can put yourself between those two things it can be a really dynamite strategy for muzzleloader because like you said they're going to be trying to expend as few calories as possible getting back and forth and you know obviously they're going to be trying to stay safe but if you can put yourself between those two points that's a good that's a good place to be the other thing you need to contend with though is if you're specifically targeting a buck late season and a mature buck is you can pretty well bet that guy's going to be the last deer on the food source right before last light. So you've either got to set up in a way where the non-target deer can filter past you without blowing every deer in the county out, right? You know, you get that one that one doe that wins you and just blows and blows and blows and, blows and you know. Right. You've got to avoid that. But if you can set yourself up in a way which with archery is, is can be really hard to do, right? Because you've got to be kind of in their zone. With a muzzleloader, right. you can, you know, you can get back away from that a little bit. Hopefully, get off the main travel corridor where all the deer are filtering into, you know, say you've got a, a farm field that still has soybeans in it. You know, that's a that's a great food source late season. If you've got that, there's going to be deer on it, and if you can figure out how or which direction they're typically filtering into the field and, you know, set up downwind of that or figure out how to get in there to where all the does and, and young bucks are going to filter past you without making a big racket, spotting you, you know, winding you, whatever, then you should be in a good position to get that buck. The other thing I, you know, I will mention is there's usually snow at that point in the season. So look for tracks. If you find a big track, you can, you know, you don't want to follow it all the way to the end because there's a, you know, there's going to be a deer right there. But you can use that to get an idea of where this deer is coming from where he's traveling and hopefully sort of hone in on where's going to be the best spot to set up. You can also see all the tracks of all the other deer, right? And so if, if all the does are, are, you know, there'll be a highway of tracks, right? You don't want to set up there, right? I mean, unless you're, unless your objective is, is meat in the freezer, then, then that's where you want to be. Right. But if you're trying to fill a late season muzzleloader buck tag, you're going to, it's going to be hard pressed for all those deer to filter by you without one of them seeing you, winding you, something, right? Right. Cause it, that's, I mean, it gets a lot tougher, especially with bow season, late season, you know, or not bow season, I guess, hunting with a bow late season because there is no cover up in the tree, there's no leaves. Right. <laughs> um, so you've got to be very careful about your setups. Um, you know, visibility, 
you can see pretty far because the leaves are off the trees, but they can see far too. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and your traditional camo is typically a leafy brown camo. Well, that doesn't really mesh with a barren, empty tree necessarily. Yep. Um, you know, so there's different things you got to kind of think about because, like you said, if it's a snowy, white out, white backdrop, and you're up there on a brown camo, you know what I mean? That not that deer can necessarily see vivid color. We know they can't, but you're not going to blend in and be as camouflaged as you would be early season. Right. You're a big dark blob sitting up there against a, you know, a gray white sky background. And right. You know, you'll just stick out more up there. Now, if you can find a tree that has, you know, that has held some leaves, or if you can find a tree that is, you know, next to or in front of an evergreen tree that can kind of break up your outline, something that doesn't, lose its you know if it, an evergreen tree you know it doesn't lose its needles or whatever in the winter time that can be a good way to a, a good place to set up to not get spotted as long as it's in the right place with archery you know you've got to be in the right place with muzzleloader right you've got more range so maybe that is you know that it gives you more options i guess is what i'm trying to say is you know you can pick a more ideal tree if you're gonna if you're gonna muzzleloader hunt out of a tree stand you can pick a more ideal tree to where one you're not right on top of them and two if they do come by you you know you can pick a tree that has a little better cover or a little better backdrop or something to where if they do come by you they're not going to spot you as easily the other thing to look for you know it's cold they're trying to stay warm if you can find south-facing slopes, southern exposures where they've got the last of the sun in the evening and the first sun in the morning. Those can be good places, right? You know, where I where I typically see them is it's it's kind of brushy, so looking through it from ground level, you can't see very far, but it's not like it's not like closed canopy forest to where I realize that the leaves are off the trees at that point, but all, you know, all that overhead sticks and limbs, right. It makes shadows and shade and things. If you can find kind of that brushy at ground level, but not much above brush, that's, that's typically a good place for to find deer. And again, if, if, if you can somehow scout a chunk of ground like that to where you can, you can get around the edges of it and look for tracks. That's a good place to, you know, that's a good tactic, right? You can find, yep, these are a set of fresh, big tracks, bigger than the other tracks I've been seeing. There's a good chance that, deer, you know, if they're fresh tracks, right? I mean, you you you, you got to kind of get familiar with looking at tracks in the snow. But if they're fresh tracks, like he went in there, you know, at, at, Early this morning, he's in there right now. Maybe that's a good place to, to set up for an evening hunt to try and catch him coming out of there. Right. If you've done past season scouting, right, that also can help a lot with, one, knowing where these late season food sources are. And two, you know, if you've scouted some of these, um, 
you know, kind of brushy but sunny areas, areas that get a lot of sun in that, you know, that late season time frame. But they're brushy at ground level because one that also helps cut the wind. And it allows the sun into them, right? So they can lay down in there and, and stay relatively warm. The other thing that we've seen is uh, uh, sort of along those lines is terrain features. Uh, what was that? Maybe two muzzleloader seasons ago. You know, it was just a cold, snowy, blustery, windy, you know, just nasty day. Well, yeah. Grandpa's farm, you know, it's it's relatively flat, but there's a, you know, there's a creek that runs through there, and there's a little drainage, ravine, if you will, that the way the wind was blowing, when you were down in that ravine, the wind was, you know, sort of staying above that, right? It, it, it was, the wind was blowing perpendicular to that ravine, and so when you get down in that ravine, the wind just, you know, kind of stayed above that. And same thing, you know, we were kind of pushing through this block of timber and I think three, four deer came up out of there Yeah, because it was a good place for them to get out of the cold. Yeah. And I think that, that year there was bucks, does, that was just where they were. I mean, we pushed, right. Like you said, it was three or four deer we pushed out. There was at least three. I think there might've been four that was down in there that we bumped out. Well, and it's, the you know, it's a small area, right? So, it, it, right. you know, that's another thing to keep in mind, right? They get a lot more congregated, if you will, in these late seasons because the resources are more scarce. So if, if this field is the only good food source around, all the deer are going to have to come there to get calories. And if this little ravine or this little ditch or something is the only good place to get out of the wind then you can bet there's going to be a bunch of deer piled in there. So you can have some, some encounters that you don't, you don't normally have during the earlier parts of the season because of just the conditions, right? The, the, the weather conditions and the, the food scarcity. Right. So I think that's, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with tactics, right? That's how I typically approach that muzzleloader season. At, you know, as you guys know, if you've listened to, the, to our stuff, we we like to do little deer drives, little, you know, push little block of timber or whatever. And we do a lot of that for muzzleloader one, because it's a good tactic for muzzleloader. And two, because then you're not, sitting still for hours and hours and hours trying to stay warm in, you know, the teens, you know, type temperatures. So that kind of leads us to staying warm because if you can't stay out there, then, you know, you're not going to have much success. So, like I said, if you can get a group of buddies together and, you know, set up a few little drives or, you know, push a few little blocks of timber or something. That's a great way to stay warm. You know, you just keep moving so you're not sitting stationary and free and freezing. Right. Yeah. It's but, definitely a, like you said, the get a group of guys together. Like that's how we, 
not that we haven't muzzleloader hunted in the past differently, but the last three or four years, I mean, that's our muzzleloader season is basically we go out a day, you know, the three of us, our dad, sometimes we'll get a, our, one of our cousins or a buddy or, you know, just a small group of guys and we'll just push the timber, little blocks of timber between the fields. Yep. And I don't think we've had a year yet that we didn't see any deer. Yeah, no, we've yeah, had we've pretty had sure pretty every year yeah. we've at least saw deer, whether we shoot them, have shots at them. You know, when you're doing deer drives, it's they could go right between you and another guy and then there's no shot and whatever. But um, every time and we're not talking huge acreages here. I mean, these woodblock or woodlots that we're pushing are not most of the acreage is open field, which the deer are not going to be in. Right. So we're, these are pretty small woodlots. We do, you know, whatever, depending on how many guys we have, two standers, three drivers, however you want to do it. And we just try to use terrain features or natural funnels and just like we've talked about with drives. And pretty much every year we at least get deer up to where you see deer. And anyone who does any deer hunting knows when you see deer, you tend to warm up a little bit. Yep. So Plus you're walking moving around the longest you'll be you know standing or on stand would be maybe an hour depending on how far the drivers have to walk kind of out and around or whatever but yeah so we've had good luck with it yeah now i realize that you know that's not everybody's cup of tea or you know maybe you just don't have a group of buddies that want to do that or or whatever the case may be and and you're going to go sit and hunt from a tree stand or a blind or something for muzzleloader. So, Jake, why don't you kind of run through your how to stay warm? You know, what do you do to stay warm in cold weather like that if you were going to go sit in a blind or something? Uh, all right. Um, like I've said before and mentioned earlier in this episode, um, I have a little hand warmer. I call it my hand muff. I don't know what it's officially called, but... Anyone who watches sports, like I've said, it's like what the quarterbacks wear. It's just a little thing that fastens around your waist and you can put your hands in it. Um, a lot of, you know, they sell them for, it's a outdoors hunting piece of equipment. I mean, you can get it at anywhere, you, anywhere basically will have one. Um, a lot of them have pockets, like a little zipper pocket across the front that I found is nice. Um, you can put whatever you want in there, your tags, a pen, piece of paper, whatever you want to put in there. Um, I usually drop my car keys in there sometimes, depending if we're doing, you know, little short drives and we're driving around to different areas where I don't want to bury my car keys somewhere. Um, and then hot hands, hand warmers are my best friend. Um, I definitely use yeah. hot hands again inside that hand muff. Um, the, I guess the, one of the other tips that I've picked up on or heard from other people is you don't want to, it's important not to overdress before you're actually going out on stand. Uh, a lot of guys will pack all their stuff on, jump in the truck, turn the heat up cause it's two degrees outside. So they'll crank the heat all the way. 
and they'll drive a half hour and whatever, half hour, 45 minutes, an hour to where they're going. And then they get out of a, you know, 78 degree truck into a two degree hunting stand and they're sweaty and hot and that's a good way to really freeze. (laughs) Um, yeah, I know Jason, you're really good about kind of, especially with your feet. If you're someone who your feet get cold, don't put your hunting socks on until you're actually ready to literally step out of your vehicle and go hunt. Wear a different pair of socks. Don't even put your boots on until you get there. And then put your hunting socks on, lace your boots up and go. Because that's a lot of people don't realize how much your feet actually sweat. Especially, like I said, if you're in a hot car, it's blowing air right on your feet. Um, It's a good way to get your feet sweaty. And once your feet are sweaty, moisture is not your friend when you're cold. You want to stay very, very dry. Because moisture, as you know, if water, when it's cold, freezes. <laughs> yep. So um, that's kind of my thing is you just want to stay dry. Layers are good. Um, and especially if you have packable layers or ability to, if you're someone who has to hike in or has a long walk to your stand, you almost want to be cold, uncomfortably cold walking in so that you're not sweating <laughs> yeah. and then once you get to your stand then you can put more layers on to warm yourself up because once you get sweaty or wet you can't fix that yep there's no way to come back from that when it's two degrees out i mean you just cannot get warm if you're moist or damp wet it just can't do it I don't care how many layers you pile on top, you're still going to be cold. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I do a lot of that same stuff. I also use a, a hand muff with a, a hot hands or some sort of hand warmer inside of it. Um, you can do a lot with those, with those, uh, hand warmers, right? You can, if you've got like an inside pocket in your jacket, you know, you can, you know, get one warmed up and stick it in there. Kind of keep your core warm. You can put one under your hat, you know, and put your stocking cap back on and keep your head warm. There's a, I wouldn't do that. I don't, if I'm going to do any of that, I don't do it while I'm walking to my stand. Cause like Jake said, you don't want to sweat on your way to the stand. I've even gone as far as to bring an extra pair of socks. If I'm going to sit there to, you know, and I know I'm, I, you know, my feet just sweat, right? And and so any any real amount of hiking, I'm going to, you know, build up some sort of moisture in my boots and my socks. And so I've even taken a pair of dry socks with me in my bag. And then when I get there and, you know, kind of my heart rate comes down and I'm, I'm, you know, settled in, I'll then undo my boots and put those dry socks on and hunt like that. Uh, like Jacob said, you know, you kind of want to start out a little chilled. Like I, I don't, me personally, I don't want to be like frozen, frozen starting out because then I, for me, I don't, it's hard for me to then get warm when I get to my stand, but I want to be chilly 
you know, when I start. And then when, as I'm hiking, I'm going to heat up and kind of get to a comfortable level, get to my stand. And I don't, I don't immediately throw my layers on. I wait for, you know, any, any of that little bit of sweat that I've built up, you know, I kind of let that dissipate, let myself cool off a little bit and then start putting layers on because the, you know, the hard part is like I mentioned earlier, if, especially if you're hunting a mature buck, there's a good chance he's going to come out last, right? He's going to let everybody else filter out into the field, make sure it's safe. And he's going to come out at the very last little bit of light, which is when you've been sitting there the longest, you're almost done. You know, you get right to that, that power hour, right? The sun sets and things, you know, you just, things just instantly, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I am so cold. Right. And that's right when, right when he's going to show up. So I try to plan for that, right? I know like, okay, we're getting into that last hour of shooting light. I'm going to put, you know, if I, if I don't have all my layers on at that point, I'm going to put them on because I don't want to be fooling around with layers, you know, and here he comes and I've got one arm in a sleeve and you know, it, it just can turn into a mess real quick. Yeah. So I try to plan for that and put those things on like right at, you know, that, that one hour mark, I think. The other thing I do is, especially if I, if I feel like I'm going to need to be in there for a couple, a couple hours, you know, four hours or something, even if I'm not going to, you know, like, uh, I'll be fine. I'm not going to be hungry. I'll bring snacks just as a, like a way to get my, to keep my metabolism working and generating that heat. Right. So if you can have like a, like nuts, cashews or something, something that's like a high calorie kind of, um, that's going to kind of get your, your metabolism fire burning. That's another good way to stay warm. And then, yeah, those, the, the hot hands or, or whatever, you know, brand of hand warmer that you like, those are kind of my go-tos. I still don't wear a heavy, heavy glove. I just, I've not had good luck with keeping my hands warm in a heavy glove. You know, they can be good while you're moving or something. But I find, like, almost once my hands get cold inside of a heavy glove, then I feel like the glove is insulating the cold in. And I'm, and I'm, I do better just taking the glove off and putting it in a muff. That's just why I, I go with a muff or putting them in my pockets or pulling them up inside my, my coat sleeves or something like that. I don't know if, if there's any science behind that, but that's the way it feels to me. Like once my hands are cold inside of a heavy glove, I feel like now it's, it's having the opposite effect. It's holding the cold in. Yeah. But that's yeah, I'm I the do. same way. I don't, I don't wear a heavy glove either. I use that. I wear a thin glove and then the hand warmer muff or whatever. Just for, it keeps my hands warm. I'm able to, you know, stay warm that way, but it's also 
very nice for when it comes time to either do the shooting or do the reloading. A heavy, thick pair of gloves makes it very difficult to operate the reloading process on a muzzle loader, especially when you're talking about putting a primer on. Right. I mean, you try to grab one of those with a big, thick pair of gloves. It's pretty tough. So. Yeah. Or with any glove, really. I mean, right. it's right. got to be a pretty thin pair of glove right. to, to deal with a primer. Um, that's why, I, again, you know, with that wishbone thing, I don't really need, you know, I just need to be able to hold on to that. I don't need to deal with a little, you know, my fingertips trying to put this little primer in the gun. Right. If any, yeah. The only problem with that that I, I haven't solved yet because I haven't found the perfect pair of gloves is here comes the deer. You've got your hands out of the, out of the muff on your gun, or if, you know, if you're archery hunting on your bow and there's that, that waiting time, right. For him to either get close enough, clear some brush, turn broadside, whatever, you know, you always think like, Oh, okay, here it's going to happen. And then now a couple minutes have gone by you're trying not to move because there's not a lot of cover. And with those thin gloves, if, if they're not in the muff, they get cold there in, you know, in a couple minutes. And right. so it's, it's always that, like, you know, when do you pull your hands out? So I would like to find, and I just haven't found them yet, like a medium weight glove, you know, it's so that it's not so heavy to wear you're not going to feel heat from a hand warmer in a muff, but it's thicker than a, you know, just a, a thin pair of poly gloves or something that, uh, you know, will, will stay warm a little bit longer when it comes to that. It's time to shoot or, you know, you're waiting for the deer to get into the right position and you have your hands out of your muff. So if anybody knows of the perfect pair of midweight gloves, you know, let me know. <laughs> yeah. And I know another thing we don't use or kind of even can hardly speak on because we don't do a whole lot of blind hunting for muzzleloader. Uh, I know a lot of guys swear by little heaters in their blinds. Yeah. Um, like I said, I can't really speak on that. I mean, the idea makes sense that it would work. I would say you definitely would have to make sure you're downwind of where you think the deer is going to be because I think you'd be fooling yourself to think that the deer can't smell that. Right. Um, you know, if you're burning a butane, propane, whatever you want to burn, but I mean, that all puts off a scent. Um, so I'd, I'd say you definitely would have to be downwind, but that obviously would keep you warm also. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Yeah, if you can, if you've got a blind to hunt out of, and you can, the one thing I I will say, and I've not done this, but if it's a blind that you know, it's like a hard sided blind that has windows that close up, I I do think you want to crack a window or something because I've heard you know there's there's going to be some uh, moisture that comes from that that reaction, right? There's there's water that comes out of your tailpipe from the burning of the fuel in your car, right? So there's, there's some moisture that, that comes out of that reaction and it'll, it'll fog up all the insides of your windows. So you want to crack a window, I think, to keep 
your your blind windows from fogging up on you. And plus, it's probably not great to be <laughs> to be breathing all of those, right? You know, those fumes, those exhaust fumes, burnt fumes, or whatever. You know, so if you can kind of right. ventilate some fresh air in there, is probably a good idea. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure of the chemistry, but I feel like that's a good way to get some sort of monoxide, some oxide poisoning. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, all right. Well, those are the those are the things I wanted to touch on with, you know, staying warm, layer up. Um, you know, like Jacob said, I, I wear, you know, when we're driving to where we're going to hunt, I'll typically wear tennis shoes and, and regular socks. Or if I am going to wear warm socks, they're not the socks that I'm going to stuff down in my boots then and go hunt. I've got a separate pair of socks that are on the seat next to me. One thing I will say, though, is I don't like to put my boots in the trunk because your trunk, you know, is cold. And and sometimes stuffing your feet down in a cold pair of boots, you know, like you kept your boots in the garage and then you put them in your trunk and then you go hunt. You know, stuffing your feet down in a cold pair of boots is you're trying to then warm the boots up, which is sucking heat out of your feet. You know, if you can keep them in the car, like on your on the floor, passenger side floor or something to where the floor vents are blowing on them to get them warm before you put your feet in, I find helpful. Yeah, that makes sense. What uh, do you know what? Because I know you got a couple different pairs of boots. What do you know what uh, Graham Thinsulate your like your heavy muzzleloader boots are that you that you wear? I want to say they're eight hundred. Okay, I think they're eight hundred. Um, again, at that the kind of muzzleloader hunting that we've done the last few years and that I see myself doing in the near future, it doesn't involve sitting in a stand for four hours and not moving. Right. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know if there is a pair of boots that'll keep your feet warm in, you know, negative whatever and sitting still for four hours. I yeah. No. I think your feet are gonna get I mean, you're gonna get cold. Right. You're not humans are not designed to sit still in that temperature. Um I mean you're just not just like deer aren't really designed, which is why they move. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um yeah. but yeah, I generally i don't do like a super heavy boot um because we do do a lot of walking or some walking at least um and getting my feet sweaty on the way in it's a good way to make sure that the hunt is very short yeah um you know if we i we haven't been down to our cabin muzzle loading recently but if we do that's as anyone who's listened knows that's hilly terrain down in the Wayne National Forest and that's a lot of walking and I don't care how cold it is when you're walking from the bottom of one of those hills to the top you're gonna work up a sweat um unless you go super super slow I guess but I mean it's that uses a lot of energy to get hiking up those hills so I kind of go with a medium weight boot and generally use the same pretty much the same boot all year for the most part. Okay. Yeah. Mine's a, mine's a, I think a thousand or maybe it might even be like a 1200, but 
I only use that boot for muzzleloader, so it it you know doesn't get a lot doesn't see a lot of use. Uh, but they do okay, you know. But they still, if I'm gonna sit for any period of time, you know, they they will my feet will still get cold. One thing I haven't tried and I want to try if, if you know we do any sitting late season is the toe warmers. You know, they have the hot hands toe warmers that stick to the bottom of your sock or stick to the inside of your boot or whatever. I've heard, you know, good things about those to keep your toes warm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, that's one of those things I think would would work, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I've never used them, so I can't speak to it. But I feel like hiking in with one of those in your boot would be a bad idea. You would have to like get in, like you said, kind of get settled, change your socks and put that on. Cause if you're hiking in with a hot thing in your boot, your feet are going to sweat no matter yeah. what. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean it, any, I mean it works for your hands. It's got to work for your feet. And typically for me, my feet are what ends my hunt for the most part. My hands, I can manage to find a way to keep warm. Like you said, whether that's pull it up inside my jacket sleeve or whatever, you know, I use my muff or, but there's ways to keep my hands warm when your feet are in a pair of boots, it's, and they start getting cold. There's no turning it around really. Yep. So. All right. Well, I think that's everything we wanted to touch on. Hopefully. You guys have some, you know, if you haven't filled your muzzleloader or you haven't filled your buck tag, hopefully muzzleloader season is a, is a good opportunity to do that. And maybe some tips or, or some of the things that we talked about in here will help you be more successful with that, help you keep you out in the woods a little longer, make you more proficient with your muzzleloader. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you all for listening. Really, really appreciate it. And... As we go into 2020, we at Ohio Huntsman are really excited for 2020. We're going to continue to try to make the show better. We're going to try and continue to bring you guys new and interesting conversations and hunting tactics, expand our our coverage to waterfowl and do more small game and turkey content. So a wider range of content and just continue to try to make the show better so i just want to take this opportunity to thank you guys thank you thank you thank you for listening for sharing for engaging with us on social media we really appreciate it and we couldn't do it without you guys so continue to do all that two thumbs up and stay tuned for what we've got in store for uh 2020 and with that Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.